And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Welcome back to No Breaks, a Formula One podcast from the No Dunks, Inc. Classic Factory, proudly a part of the Athletic Podcast Network. I'm your host, Trey Kirby, and I'm joined today by our local F1 expert and a man who goes to great lengths to find us some pompernickel toast, Graydon Gordian. Graydon, what's up, dude? How's it going, everyone? Of course, we've got our team principal here in the paddock, JD. Hello, there he is. Here hey, we are. Whether you're joining us live here on the Slipstream team on YouTube, listening to the podcast later, thanks for joining us. We're getting things straightened out here with our YouTube channel. Should be launching that officially next week. New rules and regulations for the new YouTube channel, just like there is with new cars. But, Graydon, you came through with the toast, man. It was hard to find. I had to go, you know, search all over town to find just the <laughs> finest quality pumpernickel. I thought to myself, beautiful shot. I would want, what, 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 I didn't just want to get any old pumpernickel. I thought what would be up to Toto's exacting standards. Well, I, I and, imagine and he's eating the is. finest of pumpernickel. I'm going to okay, okay, take a quick I, taste. I'm not going to eat this through the whole thing. Okay, no, it's I been sitting it. for like 10 minutes yeah, now, yeah. so I think no, we'll I probably, think maybe a little dry, but. Hmm. I can see why he orders it. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's toast. That's toast, no it, doubt about inarguably it. Inarguably bread. Yeah, inarguably bread. Mm. Great way to start, JD. I'm sure you're loving it. <laughs> Anyways, we're eating toast over here. This is going to be a thing now. I don't know if I'd eat that like every morning, though. No? I mean, I, I like well, toast. I mean, it's just like any toast to me. Okay. Yeah. Fair. yeah. But if you had an egg, come on, you'd be dipping your egg in that. No problem. Yeah. Okay. No, fair enough. Yeah. Toto, he's a man who appreciates excellence. Maybe he's maybe he's got the line on the best pumpernickel. He's all, this I'm, is also I, a rye pumpernickel. I don't know if that's throwing us I off. I think they are all rye pumpernickel. I think pumpernickel is like a form of rye. Clearly, I'm not educated. <laughs> uh, yeah. Inarguably, he's eating better <laughs> pumpernickel than this pumpernickel. It's definitely a form of rye. Okay. Yeah. It's the most fragrant of the rye breads. Pumpernickel? JD's not a pumpernickel fan. I'm not. I don't. So occasionally, like once in a in a blue moon, yeah. every three years or something. Every three yeah, years. Yeah. That's it's a long n- cycle. never something I would, if it's on a list of what kind of toast would you like? What are you going with? <laughs> are you like a sourdough man, like a country white? You want a little like. I mean, honestly, I would go rye. I would go like a light rye. But yeah, light rye. Just rye. the dark rye. It's, it's almost, and it's weird because I love Guinness. <laughs> 
but it's just so malty. Yeah, it is malty. Yeah, so mm. not not my thing. It is malty. Once in a dark brown moon. That's right. Appears. <laughs> uh, I think I'm going to start ordering it as a bit. Like, if we're out to brunch, I'll definitely, if like, they pop nickel toast, I'm going to yeah, definitely yeah, order yeah, it. Yeah, 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 yeah. But For we're going to sure. hear, you know, we, we do like talking about bread. But we are here to talk about racing. We had our first race of the season over the weekend. The boys were back on the track in Bahrain. So we're going to give it out a few awards while we break everything down. Graydon, our first up award topic, whatever you want to call it. What was the biggest headline, biggest takeaway from the Bahrain GP? Are you ready for this? I'm ready. ready for this race? I'm ready. Ferrari is back. That is right. My <laughs> that is right. The boys we're in back. red are back. We are back. Woo! That I, I mean, we called it. We felt good going in. I was bullish on him, and gosh, did they deliver? You know, Leclerc, for all intents and purposes, led wire to wire. I think not technically because it won pit stop. I sure. think Signs briefly took over first, but you know, ma- you know, m- maintained his lead throughout. You know, so had some great and did so under a lot of pressure from Verstappen. Had some great battles out there and showed a lot of poise and managed to, you know. St- um, keep his lead at the end of uh, any given lap where he was overtaken. You know, signs looked great. Signs who was being very negative and I, I think really kind of hating on his performance, but the reality is, is he did a great job fending off uh, Perez and putting himself in position to jump into second when things went awry, awry for Red Bull. In general, the car looked great. It looked fast. It looked fast in the corners in particular. Uh, all of the Ferrari-powered cars in general looked fast. You know, it seems like they are prepared to fight for the title this year. Yeah, it was a honestly a dominant win uh, for Ferrari in this one. A 1-2, like you mentioned. Leclerc also won pole. He also had the fastest lap. I, do they call that the triple crown? Is that what they call it in racing? <laughs> I don't know, but they should if the, you win all the three The triple things. crown of motorsports is a different thing. Mm. It's winning the uh, it's winning the Indy 500, the Monaco Grand Prix, and Le Mans in oh. a career. All right, well, maybe a tic-tac-toe. If a you, tic-tac-toe. If you get, a tic-tac-toe. If you get That's max a points for the whole weekend, they got to have a name for that. That's like a, a clean sweep, a maybe a tic-tac-toe. But yeah, they were incredible. And literally, Signs in his uh, post-race press conference said, Ferrari is back. They're properly back. Properly back. He, he said that. Uh, I love that when we actually hear like uh, an athlete say things that us dumb media people are saying. But yeah, I mean, Ferrari was great. You know, the question was going to be, are they as good in testing as they had? Or are they good on race day as they had been in testing? And it was honestly a blowout. Like, Verstappen did a good job keeping it close. There were some tense moments. But eventually, you know, it looked like Red Bull was settling in to finish happily P2. Like, all right, we're just going to have to finish second here. Like you're saying, Signs was uh, pretty hilarious with how hard he was on himself. You know, you he finished, I think, six seconds behind Leclerc, but that was, a, you know, maybe a little bit. It would have been longer if they were actually racing there, but I thought he did fine, but that just shows you how good Leclerc was that he outclassed Signs as much as he did on a day when Ferrari was clearly the best team out there. Yeah, the, every time... Like we mentioned, you know, that Verstappen and Leclerc had some great battles out on track uh, a couple of those earlier laps after uh, their first pit stop. But the reality is, is once Leclerc got out in front of him and put that second gap in between them and Verstappen wasn't in DRS range anymore, he was leaving him behind. He was steadily chipping away seconds every single lap, you know, building up that gap big enough that they were able to cover off on the undercut for all the subsequent pit stops. Now, they had the race in control. You know, they 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 were able to respond to everything Red Bull tried to do, tried to do to undermine them. I in general, I think they they ran a terrific race. I think it bodes very well for their season. It, you know, it's it, 
I think in some sense Red Bull underperformed. Well, in the end, I think they underperformed yeah. a lot. But but even during the race, you know, there's probably a lot of opportunities for them to find some pace that they were missing out there. So it's not that I think that we've just seen the beginning of what will be unbridled Ferrari dominance. I don't think it's that. I don't think we're just going to see them rattle off win after win after win after win. But they are absolutely going to be competing for the top step. They're absolutely in the fight for the championship. They are officially back. They're officially and properly back. And at least after one race, it seems like they've replaced Mercedes amongst the top two. Uh, And maybe we'll get lucky and there will actually be three competitors here for the championship. But I thought it was pretty interesting you know after after Verstappen tried the undercut they told him to do a slow outlap because apparently you're gonna have to do slow outlaps on these tires right now and he's like I could have gone faster I could have gone faster but even Red Bull was like it wouldn't have mattered if you went faster on the outlap Leclerc was still gonna catch Verstappen and that's certainly what it felt like as soon as he was able to get ahead he was like he's gone he's just gone yeah it didn't it it didn't seem like that was a first of all Verstappen's outlaps were faster than he realized. Yeah, they actually yeah. were talking about how the times he was doing those outlaps were very quick. But also when, you know, Verstappen was multiple times went in, you know, at, coming out of turn one was in the lead on both, you know, lap 17 and 18. And Leclerc set him up perfectly to overtake him again. Leclerc had the faster pace over the, the back half of the lap. I'm not sure that that's a lead that, Verstappen would have been able to maintain even if he had jumped out in front. I'm just not confident of that. Of course, you'd rather be out in front and be able to defend. But at the end of the day, Leclerc and the Ferrari were the best driver and the best car out there and very much deserved the win. Yeah, it was a big-time tic-tac-toe day, as everybody's saying around the F1 world these days. But those aren't the only headlines. What would you say is the biggest headline of the weekend? Red Bull blew it, is my headline uh, from the weekend. It looked like Red Bull, like we're saying, was happy to finish P2 uh, with Verstappen, and then Perez was probably coming in P4. But Max Verstappen pitted on lap 48. (laughs) He came back out, and he was like instantly unhappy on the radio so unhappy that it was almost hard to make out the radio because it was kind of peaking the levels were going off there was some bleeps no doubt about it he had steering problems right away eventually it turned into power problems around lap 54 and the weirdest part to me is that every time max would get on the radio pit lane would be like there's no problem there's nothing wrong. You're just going to have to keep going. It's like, okay, maybe he lost his power steering. I think uh, Brundle said he's going to have to go into Nigel Mansell mode here and just gut his way through it. But every time he was like radioing back uh, to his engineers, they're like, there's nothing wrong. Clearly there was something wrong uh, because uh, Max's car just stopped. A few laps later, he DNF'd, got worse because the same thing happened to Perez a couple of laps later. His car stopped going around turn one on the final lap. So a DNF for Perez as well. No points at all for Red Bull on a weekend when they were surely uh, the second fastest car on the track. What all went wrong? I know they said they had a bent steering rod after a pit stop, which I thought was just weird. It seems like people are just ironing out how they're going to have to do pit stops again this year. Uh, but then there was major engine problems as well. Yeah, so the, the bent steering rod happened on that final pit. They dropped it, and I guess it is a risk that you would bend a steering rod there. You can see over on kind of the left side of the screen, the right of Max's car. It gets a little bit bent. You know, so that's <laughs> that's not ideal, but it, it seemingly wasn't a terminal issue. And in fact, you know, it's pretty impressive that Max 
stayed as competitive mm-hmm. as he did with this issue going on. But from there, they they had a they had a fuel issue. I guess you know, I guess this was a byproduct of the fact that they never ran the car in low fuel end of race conditions during testing, which is something that. I guess they probably should have done in <laughs> retrospect, but both, you know, Perez and Verstappen suffered from the same issue, which, you know, I believe has to do with the circulation of the fuel near kind of under certain temperatures uh, inside the car. It's, you know, so that's definitely, you know, not not ideal, something they're going to need to fix. It's an interesting question. Can it be fixed within the next week or are they going to get towards the end of Saudi Arabia and be asking themselves, is this going to recur? It does seem like, there is multiple engine issues to be figured out because my understanding what happened with Gasly isn't the same issue. Mm. But unless we forget, you know, three out of the four Red Bull powered vehicles didn't cross the finish line. So that is not, it's not ideal, you know, and they, they definitely have they're definitely going to need to figure that out. Uh, so it's it's we'll see whether that I presume over time that's a reliability issue that they'll solve. But it's, you know. It's it's something that I imagine they're furiously working on back at the factory at this very moment. Yeah, we talked a ton about like you know the different shapes of the wings and the side pods and the floors, but they did change the fuel. This ethanol apparently burns hotter, especially once it gets down to low fuel loads, which is when your car is supposed to be at the fastest. And I mean, I don't know, ab- I barely know anything about the shapes of the cars, so knowing about the percentages of the fuel, I know. Literally nothing about, but with the way that three of the Red Bulls just faltered at the end of the race, like, I mean, that that seemed to me like something that doesn't happen in Formula One anymore, especially considering during the race, broadcasters were saying it's been a long time since we've had a race with no retirements, and then very quickly thereafter, three quick retirements. Yeah, I, I, you know, it's also it's a funny one because there's actually a lot of standardized parts uh, in that part of the car, a lot of things that, you know, aren't it's it's not on the various teams to design but they are able to change their placement and how it's overall constructed and that's going to affect the temperature you know uh, of those parts and uh, you know what's inside of them so it's 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 obviously like a, i mean it's a complicated problem i have <laughs> i don't have the foggiest idea how you fix <laughs> such a thing i'm not an engineer at that level or any level rather but it's the but i don't know, you know man i used to see you working on your motorcycle there when we lived at the same place out in the, that's out what in the parking lot trying to tell them man you just need fuel spark and compression that's it's easy uh, that's and then that kind of makes it go. That's how that's how an engine works. It just goes yeah. forward after that. So. <laughs> All right. So those are our big takeaways. Ferrari is back. Red Bull blew it. Those were the top uh, top stories, no doubt, uh, from a fun first weekend of Formula One. Let us know in the comments what your takeaways are here. We're going to move on to our next topic. Graydon, what was most surprising to you uh, from the Bahrain GP? I'm I'm actually going to go with. Alfa Romeo's overall performance and Valtteri Botas in particular. You know, Valtteri had an awesome weekend, did very well in qualifying, held on to be competitive in the race itself, you know, started on the grid next to Lewis Hamilton ahead of George Russell. That must have been an awesome feeling for him uh, you know, <laughs> yeah. to do that after everything he's experienced over the last year. I think that that's that for me, I was super impressed by that, and I just genuinely didn't expect it. You know, I didn't think Alfa Romeo would be at the very, very back of the pack, but I expected multiple midfield teams to probably be outpacing them. And even though I've always been a bit of a Valtteri apologist, it's you know a lot of it has to do with the car, and I didn't 
know if he'd be able to make up for that gap between it and teams I thought would be in front of them. So I I loved it. I was super impressed. I hope that means that we're in for a year of competitive, you know, Valtteri performances and what is a very complicated and unexpected midfield competition. The fight for third, the fight for fourth, fifth, it seems wide open right now. So that's exciting. Yeah, I was super impressed with Alpha and Valtteri. Like at times it seemed like he was kind of functioning as the lead blocker for Zhou Guan Yu. And they were kind of like both going through the field together, which I thought was really cool to see. And then obviously like starting next to Hamilton. That's just very funny to me after the way things ended uh, the previous season. And I have like finished Drive to Survive season four the night before so then or like uh, the night of qualifying so to know they're all qualifying there together uh that was great most surprising for me uh one part would be mercedes finished in p3 p4 they were in no man's land for most of this race kind of racing their own races which is one of the weirdest things for any team but especially for mercedes who has been on top of the table for quite some time here but suddenly they Lucked into a P3, P4, which Toto sounded very, very surprised as well. They said they were treating this race basically like a test. Once they got out of competition, they were trying to figure out their porpoising issues and if they can actually find some performance. It didn't happen. They tried a hard tire, and everybody's like, why are you trying a hard tire? Toto said post-race, it was like sticking your hand in a toilet. So I don't think they'll be going back to the hard tire like that again. <laughs> so that was a minor surprise to me. But the biggest surprise, when I was feeling good about Graydon, what a performance by Haas and Kevin Magnussen. Oh, my god! Third in the constructors Dang after one race, incredible. after Magnussen finished P5. It was P11 for Mick Schumacher. It looked like he was going to maybe get points there at the end. But we were high on Haas in the preseason. It felt a little unfounded until Sunday. Things looked great. Incredible. I Yeah, we were high on Haas. right? We thought that they could battle back into the midfield. Nobody thought that they would be... You know, P5 and, and Magnuson, it's, and let's be real, I get that they got some help from the Red Bull, you know, DNFs to get that P5, but he was always in the mix for the points the whole race. It's oh, not P7 would have been nice. Yeah, it's not as if he just like lucked into some points because yeah. a bunch of things went awry. He was right there the whole time, super competitive, you know, incredible driving from him. You know, Mick also looked good, you know, lest we forget, you know, I, I, I know he ends P11 and was probably cruising in P. 13 for most of the time but that's a far cry from 19 and 20 oh, yeah. and, and five seconds back of everybody or a lap down of everybody you know it's he looked the, the car looks great I think both the drivers look competent Magnuson is a uh, I mean a huge upgrade from Mazepin it's almost impossible to overstate how much better he is <laughs> out there like so it so there I mean I think they look great, and I'm really excited for what they're going to do this year. I hope that as the season wears on and teams continue to evolve the car and more development goes into them, that Haas can maintain that lead and or you know maintain that competitiveness rather. Excuse me, like and and stay in the mix, and that they've got the budget and the infrastructure to stay in the fight for points all season long. Does last season's performance still affect things for Haas this year since they finished at the bottom of the standings last year? Does that mean that they're going to have, obviously they'll have less of a a salary cap, if you will, to improve their car, but is that going to seriously affect them as we go on further the season? It's, it's, you know, they're, it's hard to know what their financial situation is going to be. It definitely affected them in the sense that, 
you know, they, they didn't get the same payout as some more competitive teams. But at the same time, there's other advantages too, like teams that are further down the standings get more wind tunnel time. Uh, that was a big advantage. Tunnel that for, time. Uh, that was a, a, a advantage actually that Ferrari got as well, finishing P6 two years ago and then P3 last year. They actually had a lot more wind tunnel time than Red Bull and Mercedes comparatively. So Haas has had the same advantages and has been able to therefore kind of more intricately study the aerodynamics, you know, think more about it and make the sorts of leaps that they've made. So, you know, we'll, we'll, hopefully that there's benefits and there's drawbacks, you know, and, they, and they've tried to in, instate some rules that give a competitive edge to the people you know, at the bottom of the grid. But uh, we'll see. I don't know. Another surprise for me was that Esteban Ocon was so much faster than Fernando Alonso uh, there for the Alpines throughout the race. Uh, Ocon finished P7, and I think it was P9 for Alonso. And it was like Ocon was on his heels almost all the time to the point where they were switching the cars uh, on team orders at one point. I think Alonso is the number one driver for for Alpine, but it's probably a toss up between the two of them. Obviously, Ocon is a little bit younger guy. had the had the race win last year. I think in Drive to Survive, he said he was watching Alonso drive when he was nine years old. I was like, yeah. wow, I didn't realize Fernando's that old. He looks he looks great for looks his age. Great. But uh, Ocon definitely had the pace on Sunday. Yeah, I mean, maybe this is. I feel like this is kind of a classic Alonzo thing, which is when you mix up the cars. He has such an like an idiosyncratic driving style that it takes him a little bit of time to get used to a new car, and then once he, you know, puts the puzzle pieces together, he's really quick. Certainly, that was kind of the case last year as well. He complained a lot about needing yeah. to kind of sort it out. So I wonder if it's just a little bit of that that you know the the new driving style, the new way these cars handle. Uh, if you know, it's just forcing some of the guys to adjust yet again. Uh, so I don't know, but it's it's we'll see. It's also one race. We'll see how Alonso performs other times. In general, the Alpine didn't look like it probably made the jump that they had hoped mm-hmm. to make. You know, they're they, you know in you know back when Alonso was was with Renault. Uh, you know, quite a while ago now. You know, you know over over a decade ago. They were very, very competitive, you know, right at the top of the standings. And that's where I think their aspiration is to get back to. It doesn't look like they're there this year. Yeah, so. fifth in the constructors after one race, just a point uh, behind Alfa Romeo. So that'll be interesting to watch because, I mean, if they're both going to be a little bit better, that's exciting as well. How about most disappointing, Graydon? I think uh, there's a pretty easy choice here. I mean, it's McLaren, right? This is it a was terrible. catastrophe. It was so bad. A catastrophe. We're in a fantasy league together. <laughs> I don't know how you got me into a Formula One fantasy league. I think it was, honestly, it was like 30 minutes left before qualifying, and the group chat said, hey, let's do fantasy. I had the. Per- it was the perfect timing. Kids were watching Octonauts. I was ready to watch them qualifying. So I put Norris, Ricardo, and McLaren as, uh, McLaren as my constructors. So I haven't checked the standings, but I imagine I'm last. I that have was to be ba- last That was rough. Point. I was actually... Actually, I had a pretty good – for a minute there I was cruising because I had Leclerc, Sainz, and Perez. And right after Verstappen, you know, DNF'd, I thought, oh, my gosh, I'm going to – my, my – and it. Ferrari is the, my, was my team. I was like, I'm going to – I'm going to have the whole podium. The it's going to be my – you know, going to yeah. be my fantasy team. It didn't pan out. But it – nonetheless, yeah, Mc, McLaren looked terrible. I mean, they looked bad in qualifying. You know, Ricardo looked really slow, but Norris didn't didn't do well either. I think uh, qualifying behind Mick Schumacher. I think if I if I remember correctly, did he? I think Schumacher got thirteenth, and you might be right. And and Norris got fourteenth, so that's certainly a bit of a shocker. And the race things went from bad to worse. I mean, they looked. There was one point where 
you know, Norris was, you know, he was pitting and his pit window was between 20th and a lap down, right? You know, he yeah. was getting, you know, he, he was coming back out way, way behind the race. Uh, Ricardo never did anything to make up for his bad start. In general, this just, this is a catastrophe. I, I don't know whether this, you know, the shortcomings that the car has are things that can be overcome within a season. I mean, this might be a very tough year. You think for it's going to be that bad? I don't know. I, I'll I thought, tell you right I thought now, Russell said during preseason testing that Ferrari looks like a team to beat and McLaren looks like a team to beat. Well, that. They, I mean, they I were beat. Know. They were certainly they were beat certainly on beat. Sunday. I will say that it's possible that what they're struggling with, I don't know exactly what they're struggling with. A similar team, Aston Martin, uh, also a Mercedes-powered team, which, by the way, every Mercedes-powered team other than Mercedes looks bad. Williams, McLaren, and Aston Martin did not look good out there. So there's question. at some point you have to ask, has the Mercedes power unit just been, you know, have, have the other teams caught up? or surpassed it. But also, you know, Aston Martin in particular was really struggling with porpoising and the things they did to help with that were what caused them to lose, I think they said as much as, you know, three-fourths of a second. I don't know if McLaren is struggling with similar things. I'm not exactly sure what it is, but, I mean, there's a lot to figure out. There's a lot to figure out to get back into the points, much less into the battle for podiums, so... Yeah, it was, um, you know, on one hand, it's great to hear porpoising is still around, even though the season has started. But on the other hand, like you're saying, they have a ton to work on. At one point, they were basically telling Ricardo and Norris, like, be easy on the brakes. We don't know how to cool them down the right way, which is similar to what I think Vettel was hearing. Uh, or sorry, Hulkenberg maybe was hearing over um, right. over this, over the radio for Aston Martin. At one point, they showed uh, a late McLaren pit stop and their car was like wiggling on the jack. I don't think it's supposed to do that. This is, I I mean, I guess some of these teams, it's just a lot. There's a lot to figure out. Part of me wonders whether this is a a byproduct of them over committing to the fight for third last year and under and not putting sufficient time in the development of the car this year. That whether where a lot of teams were pivoting and focusing almost the entirety of their energy on 2022 McLaren was a little bit too committed to solving last year's problems and trying to maintain third. I don't know. That's speculative. I, I, I can't be positive that that's the case, but it certainly feels like where you know, some of the other teams unlocked something really special. McLaren it, it looks lost out there. We mentioned uh, the Red Bull bent steering wheel or steering rod that happened after a pit stop. And this like this odd thing with the McLaren rocking back and forth were you expecting that to be like a problem here with teams having to kind of start from scratch on pit stops? Like that seems to me something that you could at least practice and know what you're doing right there. But there was a couple of little mistakes that we saw. Yeah, mis- yeah, maybe it's a little bit of roughness. It's different tires, you know, different tire size. Maybe that's throwing people off. Big you tire. also saw teams again do better. Not to just you know compliment Ferrari even further, but their pit stops looked super sharp. They were very fast, which is not something they are historically known for. In fact, it's probably quite the opposite. As a Ferrari fan, I'm always stressed going into the pits thinking <laughs> they're going to blow it. <laughs> like, so I think, so I, I it, it definitely feels like just teams, you know, you've just jumbled everything up and, you know, thrown it back out there. And, and a lot of the characteristics or things that we associated with teams last year are a little bit off kilter right now. So. Yeah, definitely, definitely the case. Moving on, uh, what was your favorite moment from this race? You know, an, an overtake, 
it's a probably line from somebody? it's probably for me it's it's the lap 17 and 18 Leclerc and Verstappen out in front that's that's w- was kind of delivering on the promise of you know what the season was supposed to allow for tighter racing really competitive racing that was both hard and clean racing between mm-hmm. two guys who you know have been known to come together in the past Leclerc and Verstappen have had their fair share of incidents and you know, both have been willing to get their elbows out or do things that you might frankly call reckless they they were i thought doing very hard respectful competitive racing which is what you want to see out there and was was great those were those were super fun moments i thought that and you know i think at the end i, I don't think we re- i when it happened i don't think i realized that it was you know red bull was or Verstappen was cruising for the DNF, but signs overtaking him into second seemed mm-hmm. like an awesome moment. It was like, oh my gosh, Ferrari's going to get a one-two. It was kind of the you know he had he had been struggling to hunt him down. So that, that both of those were super fun moments in the race. I thought. Oh yeah, big time bounce back moments for Ferrari. Like you're saying at the end, it was very cool to see signs go into second place, especially not knowing exactly what was going on with Red Bull at the time. But man, that battle between Leclerc and Verstappen, like that was. That was incredible to see the way Leclerc, as he mentioned after the race, was basically letting Verstappen get through so that he would have DRS to then be able to pass again. And the fact that it kind of came through three different times on this race, like had one go at it, didn't work. Had a second go at it, didn't work. By the third time, Max was like, all right, my tires are gone. That was almost where the race was won right there. I mean, probably Ferrari's going to be outpace Red Bull on the whole for the day. But the fact that Leclerc was able to outduel Verstappen, man, that was awesome to watch. You're always telling me this guy's a championship driver, and that to me right there is like, he's playing mind games with Verstappen, who's the current champion right there. Impressive. He certainly, I think, Leclerc probably quieted a lot of doubters, and I think showed people why Ferrari and Mattia, you know, Bonotto have always said he has a super high ceiling and he has true championship potential, right? It was like him hanging in there, being tough, racing hard, showing true pace when he was out in front. Yeah, I think you're right also. The race was, I'm not going to say one right there, there's plenty of race left, but when Verstappen locked up and then kind of cooked his tires on yeah. that one and then, and that forced him, I think, to pit even earlier on the next one or lose pace towards the end of that stint that really hurt you know when he went back into the pits the gap was even bigger than the first time around Mm -hmm. so I think that just made it even harder to try to pull off the overtake of that second set of pits so that that was that was definitely a a critical moment oh yeah Yeah. brilliant driving from Leclerc a real like oh the game has changed we got we got a different championship competitor up here. I thought that was great. Couple lines I really liked in this one. Uh, Max Verstappen had mentioned after I think preseason testing, nobody's giving it full beans out there. <laughs> he said nobody's giving it full beans. Which if we, we were starting this podcast this year, it would be called full, full beans, beans instead of no breaks. So uh, maybe that's like the subtitle: no breaks, full beans. Anyways, they're talking all about that, and like we're saying, Verstappen is trailing Leclerc for the most of this. But if, uh, but I think it's when Leclerc is in the pits right now, so it's it's kind of important for Verstappen to make up as much time as he can while Leclerc is just sitting there. And Crofty says, Verstappen's got to give it as much beans as possible. He was going in on the beans talk, and I really appreciated that. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I mean, these guys are Brits. They love beans. They love beans. Uh, beans for breakfast. <laughs> beans for breakfast. Throw some beans on some pumpkin nickel dinner. toast. Yeah. We were brainstorming. Maybe we could do a full beans challenge. Don't know what it is, but uh, it'll involve eating We're a gonna, full can of beans at some gonna point. There's going to be beans on this show before the end of the season. Another great moment. Uh, we talked about 
Lewis Hamilton and Valtteri Bottas starting next to each other, even though they're not teammates anymore. They seem to have fun being competitors on the race course. And then afterwards, you know, they're doing their their outlap, their cool down lap. You can see a little thumbs up between Lewis to Valtteri right back. Lewis put something up on his Instagram about Valtteri. So uh, some still respect there. You know, they had quite the partnership and it seemed like Lewis is happy because he's still one of the greats. And Valtteri's happy that he gets to maybe a little bit less pressure with Alfa Romeo and he gets to be the big dog there. Good stuff. We want to hear from you. Let us know your favorite moments. We're going to move on to our best new livery. Got to finally see these cars officially out on the course. Who do you like this year, looks-wise? I've got two faves. One... I think the Alpha looks sharp. Yep. I think they did a nice job with that. I think they did a nice job kind of taking the design identity of Alfa Romeo more broadly and applying it to the car. And then I think there's maybe a little bit of a hot take, but I'm a, I was liking the pink Alpine, the Panther, Le Panther Rose, you know, the, the, the <laughs> oh. little Pink Panther French style used to be, you know, uh, the old Force India look yeah. or whatever, you know, the racing point look. I liked Alpine in it. I thought it's sharp. I love pink as a color. It's a beautiful color. I thought the car looked fun. Pink looks good on anyone, including JD right now. Uh, but yeah, I'm I'm with you. I love that the pink car is back on the track, but it really, really throws me off that it's Alpine. Because you think it's it must be Racing Point. It or must something. be Racing yeah, Point. Yeah, it I must be that, Force yeah. India. It's definitely not Alpine, who last year looked like Williams, and the year before were Renault, black and yellow, and now suddenly they're a pink team. That just it just throws they me. They are off. all over the place. They are all over the place with the colors. So that that is fair. Yeah. yeah. Uh, but it does look good. Another one that I thought was interesting is that Lewis Hamilton has taken the kind of second driver look for Mercedes this year, and it's only because he wants to go full neon. I'm convinced. He gets the neon camera bar on the top. He gets a neon 44. It all matched his neon helmet, like little neon parts on his wheel covers as well. It definitely threw off the broadcasters at one point. They thought it was Russell just because they're used to the second driver not being Lewis Hamilton. Uh, for Mercedes. And I'll say McLaren looked good. We just didn't get to see him very much. Yeah, because I they do were think the McLaren the looks good. Back. They just, yeah. What the about McLaren the Ferrari car? Uh, I saw some people work crazy about the Ferrari design. Too much black, perhaps? Yeah, too much black. You know, our uh, our our good friend uh, Kate, who you know, was was kind of hating on it. She she thought it was the red was like too blood red. Like she mm. wanted that bright Ferrari sure. red, that like Testarossa red that... And I get that. I think it's probably more fun when they've got that, like, 90s red. But I I think it's fine. You know what I'm not a fan of is they've got the little Italian flag colors Mm. on there. I feel like that's, like, an unnecessary detail. Maybe that – I don't know. They're very proud of their Italian heritage. But I – I've actually always thought the Ferrari car, while the color is cool, is kind of a mess because I feel like they – I'm going to hate here for a second, but they do the least – good job with like elegantly placing logos on the car <laughs> they're all over the place like they're sp- like they're just they're totally usually so small and tasteful there. you know yeah right <laughs> well i just mean some teams like integrate them into yeah. the car more they put them in i actually think mclaren does an okay job like making the logos kind of fit into the broader design scheme and then ferrari it's just like a big like shell or like a big ups i don't you know ups still on there <laughs> yeah. this year but it's like you know just just slapped on there and i always think it looks like a little sloppy to be honest yeah, fair enough also funny that uh mclaren has the google chrome logo on their wheels i thought <laughs> yeah, that was pretty yeah. funny and uh, a little android bot i think or something <laughs> like a bot somewhere i it's it's fun yeah not a great weekend for the green bubble crew unfortunately uh how about a driver wise who was the best debut we had one new driver on the course in zhou guan yu 
but you know, Magnuson was back uh, unexpectedly. Nico Hulkenberg was back, and obviously we had teams switching up their driver lineups as well. Anybody impress you? Yeah, I mean, Joe Guan Yu scoring points in his first ever race is obviously very impressive. Huge, not yeah. e- not easy to do. You know, um, even if the car is competitive, you know, more competitive than expected, there's no promise that you're going to be able to get out there and manage it and manage the pressure and, you know, and I don't know, very impressive stuff. I, you know, certainly suggests that this guy is going to be competitive. I think at times he was out there battling with Mick Schumacher, which was fun because they used to battle on the F2 grid. And so seeing them back fighting each other kind of wheel to wheel was very cool. You know, that and right. I mean, I mean, K-Mag is, is, is incredible what he came out and did and cold let's also be real it's the thing with magnuson is you know he wasn't driving a car he wasn't driving an f1 car like two weeks ago that's wild (laughs) so so that's so i mean that's awesome right yeah and i thought albon did a nice job as well for williams he definitely was better than latifi disappointing weekend for latifi here's a good debut for you graden the new 2022 cars It looked like what they said was going to happen from these regulations came true in the first Grand Prix of the season. The cars were following closely. As we were talking about earlier, we had that great battle between uh, Leclerc and Verstappen where they're able to both pass each other but also both stay close enough to each other so that they can continue to have the same battle down, you know, for laps further down the field. Uh, All the cars look different, too. Like, all the side pods are different. Mercedes is very skinny and also kind of looks like a pop can that's been stepped on a little bit I think (laughs) but I don't know there's just a lot of variety out there on the track and more importantly it feels like you know hearing from the drivers hearing from the commentators they're like oh what they said was going to happen is actually happening the cars are able to stay close to each other and there might be some more overtaking this season no I think that's right I I think the cars are largely working I think the other thing that's just cool about it and we talked a little bit about this last week is a big anxiety coming into this year was that the the regulations were so restrictive that all the cars would come out looking the same and they would be iterations on like a very similar theme when in fact you saw the exact opposite. You saw radically different design directions, right? And that is really cool and I think it's producing really interesting outcomes on the track and we'll see things evolve really interestingly. You're going to see big evolution over the course of this year in the cars. I mean, and it's it's just an exciting time because I feel like they're – there's so many unknowns from here on out. Like there's there's going to be so many changes up and down the grid over the rest of the year, and it'll be fun. So. No doubt about it. Our last topic, Graydon, I want you to give me your top three drivers of the day okay. for the Bahrain GP. I'm going to say Charles Leclerc at one. Blowout, come on. He, I mean, you know, he just looked great. He hooked it up from end to end. You know, he just, he absolutely looked like a championship caliber driver. I'm going to say Kevin Magnuson because, let's be real, he crushed it coming in sure. from, you know, from nowhere. And then, you know, my biggest surprise and my, you know, uh, near and dear to my heart, you know, old Terry, Valtteri. Old Terry. <laughs> old Terry, old Terry Bonus. He's, he's looking great. He said, Valtteri, you know, came up there. You know, Botas looked good. And I, you know, I... Very impressed with that. Anybody else that jumped out at you is, you know, possibly in that top three? Uh, I think Leclerc and Magnussen are the one and two. Like, Leclerc is a blowout, easy driver of the day. He even won yeah. the pole pretty easily. And, like, yeah. I remember we were talking about this uh, last year. There are so many times where Hamilton would, like, blow away the field and he wouldn't even finish in the top three in driver of the day because you're like, okay, whatever. It's Lewis Hamilton and Mercedes. It's going to happen. Leclerc deserved it. Like, he was the best driver, and he was in the best car, so shout out to that. Magnuson, like you said. And then I'll give a little tip of the cap to Yuki Sonoda. 
picked up eight places uh, while driving. I think he had the most overtakes on the day, and he was the only Red Bull engine to fin- finish. So there good stuff go. from Yuki. And I think he might have also been the only driver we haven't mentioned thus far. So nice to get him in here as well. (laughs) That's right. Short King Spring. I just saw that on the internet as well. I think uh, one thing about Leclerc and the yeah, it it, this Leclerc winning driver of the day is a bit. I feel like LeBron on the Lakers in a for like the All Star game or something. It's like anytime Ferrari ever does well, they have a great shot at winning driver of the day because there's so many fans out there. There's a sure. fan vote and they just like crush it. And like I, yeah. they're all all of those Ferrari fans are just sitting there on their phones just waiting to like pound vote. Let's go. Let's go, yeah. Let's go like to we don't win need to them. wait till the last yeah, lap. Yeah, totally. There. Yeah. So, but we want to hear from you on all of this. Your drivers of the day, your favorite new liveries, best debut, most surprising, all that stuff. We're gonna take a quick break here. When we come back. Talking news. Stick around. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com courtside to learn more. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7, U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. You know, if I would have applied myself, I could have gone to the NBA. You think so? Yeah, I think so. But it's just like, it's been done. You know, I didn't want to, I was like, I don't want to be a follower. Hi, I'm Jason Concepcion. And I'm Shea Serrano. And we are back. We have a new podcast from Wondery. It's called Six Trophies. Woo! And it's the f-ing best. Each week, Shea Serrano and I are combing through all the NBA storylines, finding the best, most interesting, most compelling stories, and then handing out six pop culture-themed trophies for six basketball-related activities. Trophies like the Don- Dominic Toretto, I live my life a quarter mile at a time trophy, which is given to someone who made a short-term decision with no regard for future consequence. Or the Christopher Nolan Tenet trophy, which is given to someone who did something that we didn't understand. Catalina wine mixer trophy. Ooh, the Lauren Hill, you might win some, but you just lost one trophy. And what's more, the NBA playoffs are here, so you want to make Six Trophies your go-to companion podcast through all the craziness. Follow Six Trophies on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. Listen ad-free right now by joining Wondery Plus. Back with no breaks. We got pumpernickel on the table. Graydon, I noticed you didn't go in for a second bite during the break. Left, you know, my throat was a little dry after that. It made <laughs> yeah. the first segment oh, a little yeah. difficult. I kind of wish I had a glass of water the whole time. Maybe that's how Toto has so much energy. He orders pumpernickel toast at every breakfast, so he has to wash it down with coffee, and they just jacked for the rest of the day. Anyways, we're going to take a look at some of the news around the F1 world. Our first... A little piece comes from the FIA, who released their findings of the analysis of what happened during last season's climactic Abu Dhabi Grand Prix. What did happen? What did happen? Uh, some safety car shenanigans uh, is what error. happened. Some human error, as they say. Mm. What was your takeaway from this document from the FIA? I mean, nothing in the document itself surprised me. I was, I had. No expectation that they were going to 
claim that something other than the outcome that did happen really happened. They, they acknowledged some fault and things like that. For me, the most peculiar part of it was the timing. They released this document 30 minutes before qualifying started on the first race <laughs> yeah. of the season. Like, why? Are, I guess that's a news dump in an attempt to release it and cover it up with excitement about the race. But it also just seems to dredge up bad memories at the exact wrong time. So, I don't know. I thought it was it was weird timing. Yeah, definitely weird timing. I remember on last week's show, I was like, isn't it weird that they waited so long uh, to replace Massey as the race director? They did it like a week before the season started, this is even weirder to drop like a, obviously a controversial ending last season, uh, to come out with this sort of report on what happened. Not even really. It's just a bunch of bullet points about a report that's theoretically out there. Uh, the second to last bullet stuck out to me. The process of identifying lapped cars has up until now been a manual one and human error led to the fact that not all cars were allowed to unlap themselves. This is also, that's, first of all, very shocking that that was a manual process up until now, yeah. that there wasn't some digital thing or whatever that told you, you know, all the cars are unlapped or They've something like that. They've got like, like 9,000 buttons on pit. Yeah, <laughs> there's so much technology. <laughs> this one just insane layers and layers of technology. And then there's a guy like sitting there like counting the cars as yep. they go by. I, but also... Also, that's that's total BS, though, right? I mean, I just Michael Massey knew exactly what he was doing. Yeah. He let exactly a specific set of cars through, so as to allow that you know Max and Lewis to race. It's ridiculous to think that that oh, only six of the cars have been lapped. I, I just think that just patently false, but a perfectly nice bullet to add into a report. Like yeah, this. yeah, totally. The rule has been <laughs> changed. Any is now officially all, and like we said, Ma- Massey has been replaced. So to me, they're kind of saying, yeah, things were botched last year, and we got rid of everything about that, so let's just move on. And guess what? Qualifying starting right now. You want to watch yeah, that? Yeah, that was gonna that be awesome. Definitely. The cars are totally different. And the Sky Sports team, I think, kind of played into that. I didn't hear anybody mentioning the report. <laughs> yeah, exactly. More than that. They did, they did make some cracks about, you know, which cars had been lapped or weren't lapped. I heard oh, some yeah, of those yeah, jokes yeah, on got the, the air. safety car right at yeah, the end, right? They were, they, I think it was Ted Kravitz. He's like, oh, no, I can't do it. They slipped in a couple of comments yeah. there, but, you know, they're... Yeah, so hopefully we that is all a smoother process. (laughs) Hopefully we get a safety car like the last five laps every single every single race. Oh no! Oh no! Did we count them right? We shall see. Our second piece of news comes from at Adam Cooper F1 on Twitter. The tweet says: New F1 race director Niels Vidich has told teams that he won't be asking drivers to give a place back for gaining an advantage. Team and driver have to decide themselves if they're in the wrong and might be penalized if they don't cede the place. How can this possibly work? If it's up to the teams to determine if they did something wrong. Well, I guess it's it's yeah, this is interesting. First of all, we didn't I don't think we actually saw this rule in practice. I don't think so. Unless it happened at some point in the midfield and they just didn't pay attention, it didn't come up, but the only penalty I think was Ocon, you know, colliding with Schumacher, right? But this weekend, we very much might see it come into play because turn one in Saudi Arabia is where we saw multiple people cut it to gain an advantage last season. So it does seem like this will very plausibly come up this upcoming weekend. I guess people will just have to make a judgment call, but there's no... 
The interesting thing is the race director is not the one handing them the penalties in the first place, right? He is not the race mm-hmm. stewards. So when he's asking people to give a place back, he's actually, I guess, making a judgment call presuming what a different group of people is going to think about an incident. So I, <laughs> yeah. so in this so he's he's making a lot of assumptions, right? So in this instance they're just saying I'm not going to make those assumptions. You can take action to try to prevent that, but maybe the maybe the long-term goal of this is just to discourage activities where you know you might gain an advantage sure. and then just give it back because what you also saw was Max, and this came up in Drive to Survive, but giving back a position at a highly strategic moment. Like I love it. gaining an advantage, giving it back right before a DRS detection zone or right before a section of the track where maybe your car has the edge, and then immediately regaining the advantage. You know, that that's something that although in this instance I think it it ended in Hamilton, I think, hitting him or so you know, them running into <laughs> yeah, each other, yeah, right? Of but that's that's been something people have done in the past. So I think saying we're not gonna allow you to do that either, which is basically preserving the advantage you gained from the initial you know, the initial violation. Yeah, I mean I don't know. It's all it's it's definitely it'll be tricky and totally. will lead to some confusion and a little bit of chaos, which I'm kind of a fan of. I'm a little bit of fan of on-track chaos. So. Yeah, there's definitely going to be like uh, a big chaos element to it because I kind of think the default will be like you're saying. Like you're going to want to give back the position just because you don't know what's coming further down the line. So you'll do it strategically like the Max Verstappen DRS zone sort of thing. But some team's going to be the first to be like, no, we earned that right. We're off. And then they're going to have misread the situation in the stewards' minds, and then they're going to come down with a penalty afterwards, and it's like, uh-oh, that's going to be drama. And, yeah, it's a, a lot of chaos could ensue. Well, I th- he also uh, went in that series of tweets to say that I believe they have only one lap to give it back, <laughs> which is actually pretty fast. I think fast. sometimes you see these debates last season with Michael Massey, you know, carrying on for a couple of laps, <laughs> right? It like kind of turned into an extended back and forth about what they would do and when they would do it, or even sometimes not giving back a place, but just just returning the advantage gained, sure. like when Hamilton just, I guess, technically slowed up to allow <laughs> Max Verstappen to close yeah, the gap. That, that was a confused. That, that was, was a weird, very man. confusing one. The, so I think they're just trying to say that all of that messiness is gone. If you break a rule, you can either correct it or <laughs> get penalized. But I don't know. We'll see how it plays out. We haven't yet to see how it happens yet. Call your own fouls. Call your own fouls. Call your own fouls. This is a Formula call your own One. That's gonna be that's gonna be crazy. I can't wait to see it actually happen. Next up comes from Artosport.com. Carlos Sainz reaches an agreement over new Ferrari F1 contract. Now apparently this isn't signed quite yet, but Sainz says, I think we are close. Very close. Very, very close. Very close. Extremely close. Nearly there. How iron are you saying they're close? F1 contract graded, <laughs> but they're pretty close here. <laughs> they're pretty close. Now it's called a pen. It sounds close. He's like very, 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 very. But um, here's my question for you: How ironclad are F1 contracts? Because after the Bahrain GP, you saw a lot of people saying, "Uh oh, Lando Norris is signed to a four-year contract with McLaren, and look how poorly they performed in round one." Is that is it the same? You know, is it like is this? It's not. It's not like an NBA deal quite in the same way, right? You do see people break contracts or you know m- m- move. There's penalties involved. It's not. It's not exactly the same, but it's uh, you know. But in in the instance of Carlos signs, you know, 
where he's driving for his dream team at, at the top of the grid now. You know, I think you can be pretty confident that they're locking in their duo for multiple years to come. It's a pretty smart move by them, honestly, because I think they've got almost the ideal driver duo, which is a guy with a super high ceiling and then a guy with a super high floor. So there's kind of like a baseline that they're providing every race and then a guy who can jump out there and compete with the very best every race. And that that's a great combo to have. You know, so it's smart. But the, the, if, if signs, if something were to go terribly awry, I mean, I think they could get out of it. Although that also, to be quite honest, might be contract to contract. Sure. I mean, I, I think that there's just not nearly as much standardization because there's not a, like a collective bargaining agreement and things like that that they're operating within the, you know, they're operating within. So. Yeah. Do you do you foresee signs? I mean, it's too early to tell, but do you foresee signs being able to push Leclerc for championships or is this going to end up similar to Mercedes where you've got the championship winner and then you've got the reliable guy who everybody's saying, oh, is this the year? Is this the year? It's a great question. I I think you have to say signs can do it. He beat him last year. I mean, yep. he, he finished at him in the point standings last year to say, so to say he can't do it to me, it feels patently false in the sense that he's already beaten him once. You know, so that, that being said, I expect Leclerc to outperform him this year. I expect Leclerc to probably be the de facto number one driver, even if maybe he's not on paper, mm-hmm. you know, and you hear that in the way that Bonotto talks about the two of them. You know, he, he when he talks about them, he talks about how like a consistent, you know, good driver signs is. And then he talks about what a phenomenal, complete, like excellent driver Leclerc is. He clearly just has a huge crush on sure. Charles Leclerc and, 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 and thinks he's the guy that can bring home a title. So, I th- you know, so I think that that will, but you know, we we also don't know that we're seeing signs of ceiling yet, and mm-hmm. he could definitely hook it up, and, and certainly the hunger to do more is there. He's not resting on his laurels. He's not sitting there being content with what they've achieved. If anything, quite the opposite. He seemed incredibly unhappy with an excellent result this past weekend. So. Yeah, they've got a nice-looking squad, and it looks like they got him locked up for quite some time. So Ferrari, they're 100% back, baby. Our final thing is not really news, but it is new. We got a new graphics package for the race over the weekend. You see here on YouTube on the left, we've got the current, the, the 2022 timing tower, if you will. And on the right, we've got the, the previous timing tower. This did not seem to go over too well with the I, F1 crowd, Grin. I'm not a fan. To me, it feels like this is like the difference between like graphic design and information design. It's like, I get it totally. looks cool, but it's actually like kind of hard to navigate. I think having their team logos was better. Yeah. Uh, I think that it's harder to read their position numbers than it was before. And I have think having them, the position numbers and then their car numbers right next to one another is just a little bit messy. I don't know that their car numbers are all that useful. Yeah. You know, I, I, I mean, I get that you, you sometimes you got to glance at the number to distinguish between Verstappen sure. and Perez or something, but also t- just where they are on track or what the announcer is saying at that moment completely clarifies who you're looking at, you mm-hmm. know? So I don't know. It it seems to me like the only thing that I would say is a definitive improvement is it seems like they have the tire type up there more constantly. Sure. Which I like because sometimes you're, you're, it's important. you forget that, you know, but I don't know. I, I, I definitely, there's, there's room for improvement here. 
Yeah, I think you nailed it. I think that uh, the new look probably looks cooler, like looks a little bit slicker, but the previous iteration of the timing tower like gave you everything you actually needed to know. And like you're saying, like there were quite a few Lewis Hamilton number 44 football jerseys, like American football jerseys in the crowd <laughs> over the weekend, but you don't see Formula One like driver numbers showing up all that much. So, you know, Verstappen did switch to the old number one this year he as did. he's the champion. Uh, so, yeah, bring back the team logos. But like I said, uh, according to Twitter, this was not a well-done replacement here. So maybe no, there will be hating. tinkering on down the line. We've seen them, you know, do all kinds of new cameras and new graphics throughout the season anyway. So hopefully they'll change it up a little bit here. But we want to know from you. Let us know what you think about any of that news, those new graphics, and if you were going to pick a Formula One number, what would you wear? What would you wear? Ooh, five. Just number five. Just five? Vettel was five? Is that right? Yeah, I think. Yeah, he might have been. I, I'm just, that's my lucky number. Five's your lucky number? That's my lucky number. I'm a 13. Ooh. I don't know if that's bad luck for on the track, though. Yeah, but I like it. I think it's like a reverse jinx. It's yeah, like reverse Embrace jinx. the 13. What about you, JD? <laughs> Oh, I'm seven. Seven all the way. There you go. Seven. Yeah. Mm, seven. My lucky number. No even number. All odds here. Mm-hmm. I like that. <laughs> yeah, totally. <laughs> like that. Yeah, it makes a difference. I like, like that. I like that. makes a difference how fast your car goes. But we're going to take a quick, fast break here when we come back. Talking about the Saudi Arabian GP next weekend. And we both finished Drive to Survive Season 4, so we'll talk about that as well. Stick around. Discover the latest collections from David Yerman, as seen recently, styled on basketball stars like Jaime Jaquez, Jalen Green, D'Angelo Russell, and others. David Yerman is a celebrated American jewelry company inspired by the beauty of art, architecture, and the natural world. The story of David Yerman begins in New York City, with David, a sculptor, and his wife Sybil, a painter and ceramicist. When the artists began collaborating, their goal was to simply make beautiful design objects to wear. Over 40 years later, the Yermans and their son Evan continue to redefine American luxury jewelry with timeless modern collections for women and men defined by inspiration, innovation, consummate craftsmanship, and cable, the brand's artistic signature. David Yerman's collections are available on davidyerman.com. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Some great stuff from the Slipstream team here on YouTube talking about driver numbers. Uh, Great comment from Andreas Mole who says, when they were still numbering the cars after the place in the Constructors' Championship, they skipped 13 because of superstition, went straight from 12 to 14 and 15. There's a lane for me there, Greg. That's where you slip right in. I'm the guy who's not worried about bad luck. (laughs) (laughs) Not worried about bad luck on a racetrack. I don't know. You do see that sometimes. Like like you go into like a building sometimes and there's just like you go straight from 12 to 14 or something. It's, It's... You know, I I get it. That's right. You just don't, why risk it? You can never find a 13th floor in a hotel. No chance. Why risk it? Pastor Maldonado apparently wore 13 back in the day. Is he any good? Yeah, I love Pastor. Yeah, big fan as well. Yeah, 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 that's why I'm wearing 13 on my car. Yeah. 
We got another race this weekend, starting off with back-to-back -back jacks. I love it. We're going to Saudi Arabia for the Saudi Arabian Grand Prix. Just the second time uh, that they've raced there. Last year's podium, Hamilton, Verstappen, and Bottas there for Mercedes. Graydon, what can you tell us about the Saudi Arabian GP? So this is a road course, right? Pretty much the fastest road course in F1, and it's very narrow. It's very high stakes. It it we saw a lot of action during qualifying testing there last year. There's some very tricky moments on this course. Um, you know that in particular the race down to turn one, which is like a very sharp left and right. You know you're going to see a lot. Uh, it's a very tight. This fit. is skinny. Yeah, it's a very tight fit for everybody. I, I think this is interesting because last year you saw mercedes kind of outpacing red bull on the straights with the superior engine and you saw red bull picking up tons of time in the second sector and uh you know where they were where they had just a ton of pace with their very high downforce car this year it seems like it's almost reversed you saw ferrari had tons of pace in the corners and then red bull was the one that was was catching up and showing tons of power down the straights so it's I, i'll be interested to see you know does red bull kind of but in the long run, the, the track favored Mercedes. So you have to think, you know, maybe is this a chance for Red Bull to strike back if they can fix their reliability issues? You know, can they, you know, certainly expect Max to be back battling for a podium. But they might have the upper hand here. It's a little tough to tell given how new the cars are. But I wouldn't be surprised if Max actually takes, you know, takes number one this weekend. Is it realistic to expect improvements for Red Bull? Like the, I mean, yeah. obviously we don't know, but like the issues that they had during the Bahrain GP, like they've only got a week to fix it. I mean, really, you know, five and a half days until it's qualifying, and then it's then it's race day. That's a that's a quick turnaround to you know figure out a problem that left you with no points after a weekend. Yeah, I mean, it's 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 tough to tell just how complicated it is. You know, maybe it's, maybe it's actually a shockingly simple fix, like relocating an element. Maybe it's actually very, very complicated and will take them a few weeks to solve. But the reality is, is the only way you know, to score points is to bring your car across the line. So they've got to find a way to maintain their reliability. They were also right there. Mm -hmm. So it's not as if they, you know, so it, it makes me think that maybe small tweaks could be sufficient to, you know, to get it there. But I don't know. It's it's. Uh, I guess we'll find out. It's certainly going to be as the race drags on and we get towards the end. I assure you, it'll be something that Crofty and Brundle and everybody else in the broadcast is mentioning and has in the back of their mind, wondering is something going to go awry. So, how long do parts take in the F one world? I heard a ton <laughs> of talk about parts. We got to get parts in. We got to figure out these parts. We need parts to handle our porpoising. I'm thinking of Mercedes here uh, specifically. <laughs> To me, I think there was a report from uh, Ted Kravitz where he said he doesn't think that Mercedes is really going to have an update to their to their car until the Imola Grand Prix. So it could be, you know, three weeks of, or so of them of being the third place team out there. Yeah. So, I mean, I think that there's there's like two answers to that question. It's like parts in some sense are very fast in the sense that they have incredible manufacturing capabilities and can build these incredibly custom elements and you actually saw mercedes completely reimagine their side pods in between barcelona sure. and bahrain testing so that was a big evolution in a very small period of time oppositely like sometimes parts it's not as if it's just about the part itself it's all the cascading elements that are related to it and to change one thing has ramifications across the car and really what you're 
you're doing is like a major rethinking of the way, you know, air is flowing over an entire section or a whole system of parts is interacting. And then I think that's where things get complicated and changes take a really long time is it's this like domino effect of like things you got to change to accommodate this one thing that you know you have to change. So it's that that's where I, that's where Red Bull actually could get tricky is is you know it, are they going to have to actually do a bunch of work mm-hmm. to fix what is seems like a comparatively minor element. I honestly don't know. But the that that's that's also where I think you know Mercedes is stuck a little bit is that the, it the, the the suggestion is is there's not a quick fix and they're going to have to iterate on multiple elements of the car and then bring those back to working in concert with one another in order to be battling back for the very top. Yeah, I think Russell said something similar where he's like, we didn't want to change too much and confuse ourselves because if there's several things wrong and you change them all at the same time, maybe you just got a whole new grip of things that are wrong, which uh, would obviously be a problem. How soon do you think... Teams are going to change their mind on like side pod designs because like Mercedes, like we said, skinny. Theirs looks, you know, more like triangular shaped almost. And then like you got like obviously a wider Ferrari side pod. And there's like you can find photos on Twitter of the Red Bull engineers just like standing and admiring the Ferrari. Like, ooh, that looks beautiful. That's obviously like a huge design component, the shape of your car and the way that the air is flowing over it. But if one team is doing it right and you're, if you're Mercedes and you're one of the Mercedes customer teams and you're like, our car looks different and it's not performing as well as all these faster cars, how quickly do you be like, all right, we got to change track here. I, you know, it, you probably, some of them I think are, are already thinking that right. They're like, yeah. okay, they're already back at the factory. I'm not saying they're throwing out the designs, but they're like, okay, we we have to make some major mm-hmm. changes. This isn't iterating on like a, a foundational design here to a point of optimizing it, which is probably more where Ferrari and Red Bull are at. They're thinking, cool, we have a great base. Let's improve all sure. the little component parts. You know that uh, I think that the. <sighs> You know, you see teams make changes very fast, like Alpine, not to the side pod itself, but to kind of the rear of the side pod, the slope and angle of it. You know, that changed, I think, in between testing and the race. So just within one week, there was a, a, a component of the body shape that they changed. Um, it, teams can turn around changes pretty fast. It's it's just like you've got to be confident that there's not going to be negative, unexpected byproducts. And it's not as easy to be confident of that. It's not super easy to be confident of that. So it, it's just little little tweaks have big impacts. So, but we'll, we'll see if they can turn it around, how quickly they can turn it around. You do see teams make really big leaps mid-season. Uh, and so, you know, and honestly, even Mercedes last year, you could say that their evolution from race one to Abu Dhabi was massive. Big time. They clearly were the second fastest car on the track Red Bull easily had the best car to start the season and by the end Mercedes had the better car they were the faster car at the end of the year oh yeah funny moment in drive to survive when they're talking about how much faster the uh, Mercedes car was in the second half of the season Lewis is like hey I did some good laps okay (laughs) decent driver Uh, but I guess we'll see how it plays out on track Uh, it seems to me though we will be looking at similar top twos in uh, Ferrari and Red Bull with everybody else trying to battle it out I think that's right but we'll see on Sunday. So we got the race on Sunday, qualifying Saturday, practice Friday. Uh, Graydon, I finished Drive to Survive season four. I saw your tweet uh, during the week. You wish we would have waited until we both had watched the Yuki Sonoda episode oh uh, to record our preseason preview. That episode is hilarious. 
The guy hates where he lives. Hates it. The guy hates the food he's eating. He hates working out, but he loves going fast. I was like, this guy gets it. Laura, we were watching him, like, get into his car, getting ready to, you know, just drive around Milton Keynes. And Laura's like, do you think... Do you think Formula One drivers just always drive fast? And then, like, as soon as she said it, Yuki peels out backwards. <laughs> and he's just doing roundabouts as fast as he possibly can. I'm like, I think they do. I think they just drive as fast as possible. Maybe it's just him, though. He is incredible. He is incredible. He is, incredible. He is so ass. foul-mouthed. He is so, like, the most rated yeah. on episode of the whole show. <laughs> I feel like he, he yeah. just cannot help himself. And then somebody said because he learned English around, like, engineers sure. and mechanics and things like that. So, like, ever, you know, yeah. Uh, yeah, I don't know. He's great. The food stuff is great. He, I would love a Yuki Tsunoda cooking show. Oh, or like a, or like, a, like a like a like a uh, Stanley Tucci Italy like goes to Italy <laughs> but with Yuki Sonoda traveling around just being like furious just sprinting in a car from place to place yeah, like eating food and like cussing everybody out the whole time it'd be incredible actually yeah so we had the Yuki episode we also had the George Russell versus Valtteri Bottas episode wow. didn't think George came off great though. he he came off terribly yeah oh my God I is is like I. I kind of liked George, or I still do kind of like George. Yeah. I feel like people do. And then coming into that episode, I was like, good God, he's just very entitled. He seems totally. very, like, this is just a terrible look. Yeah, he looked very so, pouty. They got yeah. they got him with some of the editing oh, they stuff. They crushed him on I was feeling one. bad for Botas, for sure. Yeah. Uh, and also, it's like, to me, it seemed like it was made into way bigger of a decision for Toto than it probably really was, especially, like, having, you know, watched through the season where we're just kind of waiting and waiting and waiting for yeah. Russell to be announced but maybe there was a little bit of hesitation uh, after they touched up a little bit yeah I mean maybe there was I guess it's right I, I think that, that they featured very briefly Hamilton making a comment about how Botas was an excellent second driver and mm. and that you know there was some rumors that behind the scenes Hamilton had you know, no interest in replacing Botas. He was more than happy with keeping him, which, I, you know, maybe has to give Toto pause. But, yeah, it it always felt inevitable. People saw that coming from 100 miles away. But what are you yep. going to do? It's a TV show. you got to make it got to make it seem exciting. Yeah, exactly. And that's the reason that uh, Max Verstappen didn't want to be in to Drive to Survive Season 4, which is too bad. He would have been a great addition to the last couple of episodes, which are all about the championship Totally. Uh, shootout with Lewis Hamilton. Though I will say, I thought Netflix did a really good job of like keeping Verstappen in things. Like they have him, mm-hmm. you know, at like the Red Bull party talking about the race the next night, that kind of thing. There's a lot of Max Verstappen in it. Um, yeah, they even get though he's a lot not actually like a talking head. So I thought that was pretty cool. Stuff. They do a good job. I thought it was. That. I thought it was crazy seeing like you know we heard the radio calls when they happened, but now you're seeing like Michael Massey talking back to Toto and Christian. You're seeing Toto freak out in the in the paddock. I thought that was cool to see. And I'll be honest, seeing Max Verstappen, it made me less of a Max hater watching what. Less so than I thought I was gonna be. I thought I was gonna be seething mad again <laughs> at the end of these episodes, but I was all more like, hey, you know what? He deserved to win the championship on the whole of the season. The decision just happened to go his way, but it wasn't really anything of his doing. They were just, he was in a no. place where it's like, okay, I have an easy win for the championship here. I got to take it. Of course you do. No, yeah, I, I agree that it, it wasn't as if Max did anything. I think probably somewhat appropriately, you probably come away from that that show, as we said last week, 
thinking of Christian Horner as the <laughs> villain, who is probably yeah. more the person who you should blame for, you know, probably inappropriately influencing, you know, Massey to make a, an ill-advised decision. But I, I think that that's, you know, yeah, I, I think Verstappen's fine. But I do think he's a he's a good heel. Them as a, a collective good, exactly. are a yeah, good yeah, heel. Yeah. You know, his like very cool, you know, very you know, unemotional kind of response to everything. You know, he's like hyper Dutch, very like stone faced, uh, you know, hyper competitive approach is, is great. Horner's, you know, constantly twisting the knife is great. Red Bull's a great bad guy. They're <laughs> yeah. a great bad guy. So I, I and, and they will be again this season, I think. Yeah. So. And we got to say it ends with a great quote from Toto. Every team. <laughs> Has a target on their back with, while wearing a black t- turtleneck <laughs> and a black suit. Did they tell him that like, like hey, a man, James Bond come in, villain? Look as villainous yeah. as possible. Yeah, he. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> I mean, awesome. that was there what was somebody. Yeah, he probably came in in like a like a t shirt or something. They were like, no, you need to change. Somebody has <laughs> here. Yeah, gotta. Yeah, that that was. I thought a tad heavy handed, but still <laughs> great. Still great. Yeah, give it to us one more time. Yeah, that didn't yeah. sound scary enough. Yeah, yeah, it's at it. Um, I find myself so much uh, watching like the Talking Heads interviews, just being like, "When did they record this? Mm-hmm, like, when are they getting mm-hmm, the quotes from mm-hmm. Christian and Toto in between qualifying and in between?" Or in between qualifying and in be- and when they when the race actually starts, you know, I'm like, there are times when I think I see Christian Horner wearing a white button down shirt, and I know he was wearing a white button down shirt underneath a blue sweater, and his face looks a little more red. So I'm like, oh, I bet he was getting hot from wearing that sweater. But I'm sometimes all, I like, think the dumbest stuff. Okay, I don't know this for a fact, but I feel like some of it's a little bit like reality TV where they just go back and yeah. you're like, you're. Your well, not a little bit. It's a it is reality TV, but it's there, there, you know, and making you comment on things as if it's real yeah. time. I feel like I feel like some of that must happen just after the season. Yeah, and they just oh. go back and they're like in the first person as if it's present day. Tell me about the crash at you know Monza or yeah. whatever. And it's like, well, these guys they're so they're so competitive or whatever. You know, it's, so I feel like that's a little bit of it. Yeah, no doubt. Another great season, fun to watch. I was happy to jam it in there too, right before we actually got started. Yeah, same. Uh, I think I for finished it like Saturday morning before <laughs> qualifying. I think I literally finished it like five minutes before qualifying. Right at the last second. I don't blame you. That's what I was doing too. I was doing mine Saturday night because I was like, I, I can't leave this. I can't leave yeah. this till the ra- till after the race started. But that's about it for no breaks. Thanks to everybody for joining us today. Make sure you follow Graydon. On Twitter at Mr. Gordian. Follow us on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, TikTok, wherever at No Dunks Inc. Feel free to subscribe to The Athletic at theathletic.com slash no dunks. Only a dollar a month for the next six months. And please send us some emails. Hit us up at no dunks at theathletic.com. Put no brakes, Formula One, fast cars, pumpernickel toast, whatever you want to put into the subject we will find it uh we should be on a new channel new podcast feed next week but please just stay tuned to that obviously we'll be active on twitter letting everybody know where to find the show clipper bros you heard it here first have a great time turn up love you guys awesome stay speedy people vroom vroom
As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager.